Uh, when it comes to a sermon preparation or public speaking, I'm sure ever, how many have ever done that? Public speaking, Pastor Ryan hasn't. Public speaking of any type, I took a public speaking class in, in um, college. And every time you approach a subject, you have an idea of what you're going to speak about, and you're like, you, you get into the subject and you're like, oh, this is way too narrow. And so you're like, I have to broaden it out a bit. So you, you back up and you broaden the horizon to the subject you're discussing. And then, um, as I did this past week, you, I, I get the feeling that I was back in high school uh, trying to squeeze a whole double cheeseburger in my mouth on a dare. Um, I had bitten off far more than I could chew, you know. Um, so uh, then you have to narrow it back down a little bit, and, and here we are. But um, the book of James is a very encouraging book. It's a very practical book. Um, James, it's been observed, and I was looking at the ESV Study Bible, it it said that over 50 commands are given in the book of James. James only has 108 verses, but over 50 times the writer of James, uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives a command to the Jewish believers that he is writing to. And these are Jewish believers that are living outside of Palestine. Uh, They had been dispersed from uh, Israel and from their homes by persecution And part of the um, thrust of this book is dealing with persecution, as we see in the very first couple verses, verse number two through verse number four. uh, He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. No doubt these Christians, having been uh, dispersed from their homes and sent out into all the world, were encountering many persecutions, physical persecutions, enduring poverty and lack and not having the things that they need to sustain their life on a daily basis. And in this, he's encouraging them to rejoice, have joy in those circumstances, knowing that the trial of our faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness will eventually work if allowed to do its perfect work and have its full effect so that you might be perfected, that you might be complete and mature as a believer. Um, And then he goes from this encouragement in verse number two through four uh, to talk about wisdom. Uh, now, in studying um, this past week, over the past several days, there's two different ways that a lot of people view how verses 5 through verse 8 interact with the preceding verses. Uh, Calvin and others uh, draw upon verse number 5 to, I guess, further expound the situation in verses 2 through 4, in that saying, basically, the people who are struggling to hear this message of having joy while suffering or having joy while in poverty... Uh, that is completely adverse and opposed to our natural thinking. How are we supposed to have joy, and as Pastor Ryan just emphasized, be truly, genuinely thankful to God in the situations where we are lacking or where we are suffering? And so some commentators note that he is giving these, this uh, exhortation to wisdom and asking God for wisdom to basically give us the grace to see beyond this circumstance, and to to trust the wisdom of God and to ask for wisdom that we might understand that we can be joyful and ought to be joyful in our trials and persecutions. I'm not going to say that's wrong. I think that's very insightful. Um, Others view wisdom in this particular passage, passage as kind of an explanation of what it means to be a perfect or complete uh, believer. Uh, As he says in in the latter part of verse number 4, let that steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And a lot of them would point to wisdom as one particular aspect of the believer's life that can and often is lacking 
even in people who are mature in their Christian walk with the Lord. Again, I don't believe that there's either a right or wrong answer. I think both of them can give uh, helpful insight into understanding what, what James is, is telling the believers that he is writing to here. But I want us to notice three different uh, parts of uh, his exhortation to them in verses uh, 5 through 8. The first thing that we'll see is recognizing our lack of wisdom. Recognizing our lack of wisdom. Secondly, we will look at the source of all wisdom, or if you're into alliteration, the repository of all wisdom. Um, I, I tend to, to loathe. Um, there's, there's, I'm, I'm genuinely split. You know, um, Growing up and taking a homiletics class, they always encouraged you to not force it, but, but find a word that people will not be sure that you looked up in a thesaurus uh, to come up with your outline, um, just because it's uh, more memorable, supposedly. Um, and lastly, we'll look at the source of all wisdom. We'll lastly look at uh, the request for wisdom from God. So first of all, why don't we look in verse number five. In just this first phrase, uh, James says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, in order to understand what James is encouraging these believers to do, I think we need to firstly define what is wisdom and how do we know that we lack it. Um, First of all, wisdom is defined, generally speaking, as Knowledge and the capacity to make due use of it. Knowledge of the best ends and the best means. Discernment and judgment or discretion. And more specifically for, as, for us as believers, I, I think this other definition can be helpful. More specifically, wisdom is the appropriate implementation of knowledge gained from the Scripture in order to direct our path so that we might magnify Christ with our lives. The appropriate implementation of the knowledge gained from Scripture, revealed to us by God in order to direct our path to the end that we might magnify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So having, having said that and having, I guess, given a very brief definition of what wisdom is, how do we know that we lack wisdom? Notice what uh, uh, James says. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom. When I was uh, memorizing the book of James, I, re- I clearly remember coming to verse number five and reading, if any of you lacks wisdom, and I took a second look at it, and I'm like, no, surely he means when, right? Not if, it's when. Spurgeon, in um, his faith's checkbook, said of this passage, uh, there is no if in the matter, for I am sure that I lack it. What do I know? How can I guide my own way? How can I direct others? Lord, I am a mass of folly, and wisdom have I none. I can honestly say I'm in complete agreement with Spurgeon. As uh, Solomon, when he came to reign in in place of his father David, uh, we know the the story how uh, Solomon asked for a God to grant him wisdom because he said, I am but a youth. How do I know to go to go out and and come back in from these people. And he asked God to grant him wisdom, and God did answer his request and grant him wisdom. I think this uh, statement of Spurgeon, and I think looking at our own lives, there's really not a question of if we ever lack wisdom. Even in our most lucid moments, even if we believe our wisdom to be sufficient for the circumstances that we are currently in, Just like the weather in Texas, wait 15 minutes and you'll quickly find yourself 
in another situation where you are deficient of the wisdom that you need to make decisions and to find direction and to follow Christ in those moments. We'll be overwhelmed. We'll find ourselves woefully lacking. At other times, we are made acutely aware of situations where we need wisdom, whether it's uh, training, discipling our children, disciplining our children, discerning the will of God for our vocation or career, interacting with our employer, our spouse, our parents, and the list can go on and on and on. I would dare say that all of us, to varying degrees, lack wisdom at times in our lives. We can look back at times where we did not pause to take a full assessment of the situation and did not seek the wisdom of God and instead lashed out against our family or maybe said something at work or did something at work or um, whatever situation you can think of in your mind right now. There are times in our lives where we proceed without seeking the appropriate wisdom. So here we see, uh, the first of all, we need to recognize take a full assessment of our lives and, and look and examine ourselves to see what areas of our life we have been proceeding without the wisdom of God, where we've been relying on our own strength, our own knowledge, our own uh, fortitude to make decisions and to carry out our lives without concern for the Lord and for the wisdom that he offers. Uh, so first of all, we see that all of us lack wisdom. Each and every one, there's not one person that can point to themselves and say, if you need wisdom, I am, I'm it. Uh, there were some, uh, some, fr- some friends that I was working with uh, yesterday, and um, coming from a bigger hospital and going to a smaller hospital, there's, there's some resources that I'm familiar with that other people may not be familiar with. And one of them said uh, later in the day, um, she said, I want to be as smart as you when I, when I grow up. And I, I put my head in my hands and I said, that is a very, very bad goal to have in your mind. It's very bad. There's no one person that you can go to and say, you are the fountain of all knowledge and all wisdom, besides God, of course. There's no one that we can run to to seek wisdom and to seek knowledge besides the Lord. And herein we find the source of all wisdom In Scripture, uh, there are some delineations given between secular wisdom, human wisdom, wisdom of this world, and the wisdom that comes from God. Human wisdom is just based in having the appropriate experience, knowledge, or general good judgment. And you could look at a person that has those things in the secular context, and many would point at them and say, that is a wise person. But when compared to the wisdom that comes from God, secular wisdom and worldly wisdom disappears. True wisdom is wisdom that comes from him. Notice in uh, Proverbs chapter 2 and verse number 6, the Bible says, For the Lord gives wisdom. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable 
his ways. Notice Paul there emphasizing the depth. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. This is, in fact, we could go on and on through many scriptures in the Psalms. The psalmist often draws attention to the extent of God's wisdom and how that wisdom is from him and him alone, as well as in the Proverbs. We could look through all of the Proverbs and see wisdom mentioned over and over and over, wisdom personified, and many truths can be learned from wisdom in the Proverbs as well. But this is the holistic teaching of all of Scripture. God in his wisdom created this world, the scripture says. He sustains the world. He has created each and every one of us. And knowing our sinfulness, knowing our enmity with him, he has in his wisdom and eternity past worked to bring in time his elect to saving faith and continues in his wisdom to meticulously direct and guide our lives by his providence. All wisdom comes from God, and no wisdom can be had from Him outside of Him. In fact, looking to ourselves and calling whatever knowledge that we have wisdom is, is kind of sacrilegious to a degree, because we're taking what ultimately comes from God and flows forth from Him and claiming it as our own pointing at ourselves and saying, I have this wisdom in and of myself. I have this this, uh, ability to distinguish between right and wrong apart from God. But true wisdom cannot be known apart from God. It's a commonplace today to have a, a notion of what something is and in the secular mind try to accommodate God to fit your intellectual construct of whatever it is you're envisioning. The same is true with wisdom. Many people hold wisdom separately and distinct from God and then try to fit God into their notion of wisdom and alter God to conform to their separate um, ideological construct. But this is completely backwards. Instead of trying to change God into something that he is not to fit our idea of wisdom, we need to change our idea of wisdom to conform to what God is. Our knowledge of God as revealed in his word ought to be the lens through which we perceive wisdom and the attaining of wisdom. He is the fountainhead and source of all true wisdom. This is contrasted in uh, Scripture The worldly wisdom versus the wisdom of God over and over and over and over again, especially by Paul. Um, We can read in in James, in fact, James himself in chapter 3, if you'd turn there, verse 13 through verse 18, uh, contrasts the wisdom that is from above versus the wisdom that is of this world. James chapter 3, verses uh, 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. There is the summation, according to James, of the wisdom that is of this world, earthly, unspiritual, demonic, 
jealous, selfish, disorder, vile practice coming about as a result of this wisdom. But notice he mentions in verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Not only does Scripture clearly tell us that not only is God's wisdom superior to man's wisdom, but when you really take a look at it, the wisdom of man is not only inferior to the wisdom of God, but is foolishness when compared to the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3.19, Paul says, For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. It's foolishness. It is utterly useless. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 through 31. I know it's a long passage, but I'll read it all because it's so, so powerful. Paul says again, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Wow, some strong language that he uses. The weakness of God, as it were, not as though God is weak, but the weakness of God is stronger than men. The foolishness of God is wiser than than men. How much greater is the divide between the so-called wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God? We see how vast a, a chasm is is given here to us from scripture. God's wisdom is far superior and makes foolish the wisdom of this world. So how do we attain this wisdom? That's the big question, right? How do we attain the wisdom that we need to live our life for Christ, to impact our family, our coworkers, our loved ones, maybe the ones that we even hate, for Christ? Well, the answer to that is very simple. James here in chapter 1 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, 
Ask. Let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. These instructions are very simple. Um, I'm reminded of um, the story of uh, Naaman. I almost said Haman because we're reading in Esther at home. Naaman, the, uh, the leper. You know the story how the, this little girl was in captivity and she was the servant of his uh, wife and uh, she was made aware of his leprosy and she said, man, if he could just get to Israel, he could go see the prophet and he could be healed. And so he went and he saw the prophet and what did the prophet tell him? Go down to the Jordan River and dip yourself in the Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. And you would think that someone being given such simple instructions would be overjoyed, but he became angry and almost self-righteous. He says, you want me to dip in the Jordan River? Don't we have better rivers back home? And this is what you want me to do? And so he left. And then his uh, men approached him and said, if he had asked you to to do some great, massive feat, wouldn't you have done it? But here he gives you such simple instructions. Why don't you just do that? The same is true with attaining wisdom from God. All that we need to do is ask. Let him ask of God. The, The wisdom of God is fathomless. There is no extent to it. You cannot possibly measure it. All that we need to do is ask, and it will be given. This passage is very closely um, in line with Christ's teaching in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 7, where he says in the Sermon on the Mount, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? James repeats very similar language here. Ask of God, and it will be given him. Ask. There's two, two things that, that James gives us here as a kind of, one is a kind of a confirmation and an assurance in asking, but the second is a condition to our asking. The assurance that we see is found in the same verse, verse number five, and it's based in the character of God. If any of you lack, lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Notice the next phrase, who gives generously to all without reproach. There's two parts to what he says here. First, he says he gives generously to all. The, um, the King James, which I'm, I had, a, in fact, I, I often probably quote in the, with the King James um, scripture because uh, that's what I memorized. But the King James uses the word liberally, gives liberally. Another word that would um, be appropriate here is freely. He gives generously, freely gives. He liberally gives to those who ask. Um, back when I was a, um, a teenager, I'm sure many of you probably remember hearing this statistic. You know, um, 87% of statistics are made up on the spot. Um, and now you're wondering whether I made that one up. 
Yes, I did. Um, I heard a statistic when I was uh, in high school, and it went along these lines. And I, again, I, I won't know the, specific, uh, the specifics of it, but when considering the wealth that Bill Gates had amassed because of Microsoft, um, people said that Bill Gates has enough money to buy every, and I heard two different versions of this, to buy every household in the United States a Honda Civic. Did anybody ever hear that? Am I the only one? That must have been a northern, uh, a northern uh, thing. Um, another, another one said uh, he has enough money to buy every single person in the U.S. a Honda Civic. And, you know, as a kid, not having, you know, 100 bucks to your name, you know, you were just sitting there and you're like, wow, that's a lot of money. I'm sure many of you heard about the uh, acquisition of Twitter um, by Elon Musk, purchasing it for the, for the mere, you know, $44 billion that he purchased it for. And we think of that and we're like, wow, that is a lot of money. When approaching this topic of asking God for wisdom, not only does God have the wisdom that we need, but he has a limitless amount. Yeah, purchasing a Honda Civic for a household, one household, would be a drop in the bucket for Bill Gates, right? But imagine the bucket being a drop in the bucket, being a drop in the bucket, being a drop in the bucket to the wisdom of God. It's endless. It's fathomless. Not only does God have the wisdom, but he is more than willing to give us wisdom when we ask. He says he gives generously to all without reproach. It will be given him. God here is offering to us wisdom. All that we need to do is come before him and ask. And we can be assured that when we come before him, he will give it to us because he says he will. God will always keep his promise. The next thing we see is um, a condition in our asking. He says this, but... Verse number six, but let him ask in faith. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. Before we, we get to that, I'm going to get to that second part that I missed. I, um, I was telling Pastor Ryan, I was, I'm like, man, I'm having, I'm having trouble studying. And uh, I often, when I, I, I was never really good at writing essays in school, and I, I would write out the whole essay. I hated outlines. So I would write out the whole essay without an outline, and then I would realize that the flow was just not right, so I would delete the entire thing and start over. Um, and I feel like that's what I did over the past couple of days uh, several times, so my, my notes are a little out of order. Forgive me for that. Um, he says, first, uh, he gives generously to all, and secondly, he gives without reproach. Now, what does this mean, without reproach? We don't use the word reproach a lot, uh, but simply it means without rebuke without reviling you, without criticizing you, or bringing to your mind all of the other things that he has given you that you have taken for granted and not used. When we ask for wisdom, God does not flaunt our failures. When we come before God and say, God, I have no idea what to do in this circumstance. I have no idea how to lead my family the way you want me to do it. I, I don't have the wisdom to deal with this work situation. I don't have the wisdom to deal and to interact with my spouse as I ought to. God, grant me wisdom. He will never say, well, what happened the last time I gave you wisdom? 
What'd you do that time? You just completely ignored it and you did your own thing anyway. He won't point out how, how inconvenient and how difficult and arduous it is for him to grant us wisdom. Don't you realize you are a really dense human being? And it takes a lot to get this through that hard head of yours. No, he doesn't do that. He does not revile us or reproach us when he asks, just like when our, ch- our child would come to us and ask for some, for some food if, we're, if they're hungry. What do we say? Well, sometimes, well, maybe sometimes we do do this. <laughs> You're always hungry. You're always eating. You just ate five minutes ago. So I take that back. We do that sometimes. But just as Jesus drew attention to, to that father whose son came before him and asked for a piece of bread, he said, what are you going to do, give him a stone? Of course not. If he asks for a fish, are you going to give him a snake? No, of course not. You're a, you're a good father, generally speaking. How much more will our Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? He gives us generously and without reproach. I'm sure you can think of a time when you've asked somebody for a favor. And um, they do it, right? They'll do that favor, but the whole time they're kind of, they're kind of picking, just kind of just this mild whine of a complaint while they're doing what you ask them to do, saying, man, I just really hope you realize how inconvenient this is for me to do what you're asking me to do, or, uh, man, you should have asked me sooner. This would have saved a lot of problems. God does not do that. God is not like this. He will not revile us for asking for wisdom, but he will grant it freely because he is a God who gives freely. Now let's take a step back and look at the condition to asking the only condition to asking is well, a condition that we were uh, made aware of today. Uh, anything that is not of faith is sin. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must re- know that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When we ask for faith, we must, or when we ask for wisdom, we must ask in faith. Notice what he says in verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, with no doubting. Now, I might just take a second to point out here that this is not simply limited to the, the arena of asking for wisdom from God. Matthew chapter 22, verse 21 and 22, Jesus answered them, Truly I say unto you, this is in the context of Jesus cursing the fig tree and the fig tree withering. Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt. Sound familiar? Have faith, let him ask in faith with no doubting. Jesus says here, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Faith. If you have faith, just as a reminder, uh, what is faith? Here uh, in the, the book of James, James emphasizes uh, by the, the constant commands that we see the difference between a mere intellectual assent to something that is true and actions based in our lives or actions taken in our lives based upon what we know to be true. In James chapter 2, he talks about faith versus works. 
and how that by our works we illustrate our faith before those who see it. Uh, and he used the illustration of Rahab and the illustration of Abraham, um, how their faith in God was evident by their actions. So faith is not simply an intellectual knowledge that God can do something. But faith is a confident trust in God that he will do what he has promised to do. The same is true when it comes to asking God for wisdom. We must not come before God and say, well, God, I, I mean, uh, if, if you want to grant me wisdom here, that'd be great. And um, until, until that happens, I'm just going to go about and do what I had planned to do any, anyway. And if some great idea pops in my head, and you know, I'll, I'll kind of cross that bridge when I come to it. Faith is not an, an, an asking God and saying, well, I really don't think God is going to give me wisdom in this circumstance. I think I'm just going to have to go it alone. Wisdom is asking God, saying, God, you have promised in your word to give faith or to give uh, wisdom when I ask. Please grant me wisdom and trust God to do what he has promised. It's a full and utter dependence upon God. Often the word hope is used in the New Testament to describe our our faith in God. And we use the word hope in a very um, um, maybe uh, way, you know. I hope I can go to, you know, get some ice cream tonight, my kids will say. And they mean by that, if, if my dad is willing to give us ice cream and if it's not too far and it's not too inconvenient, then I hope I'll be able to get some ice cream. But when, when looking at Scripture and using, seeing how, how Paul and others in the Scripture use that word hope, it is not talking about something that might happen or could potentially come to pass if everything falls into place. It is something that is certain based upon God and his character and what he has said he would accomplish. It's a sure thing when we ask, when we ask in faith. In a closing, I, I just want to encourage you. I, I've struggled in this area, and um, it's, it's hard sometimes to, to try to teach, um, teach others or go through Scripture with others in some things that you're struggling with yourself. Uh, but I, I encourage you, and I would ask you, how many of you today would say, I'm lacking the wisdom that I need? I'm lacking that, that knowledge of what to do in my life, how to conduct my life, how to interact with my family and to raise my family and to carry about the vocation that God has called me to do. I need wisdom. I think all of us to a degree would say, that's me. And if that is you today, the only thing you need to do is ask. Ask in faith. Nothing wavering. Here James in James 1 uh, goes on to describe two types of or gives two illustrations on the type of person that does not have faith in verses 7 through 8 or 6 through 8. He says, The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Waves of the sea are, are uh, without a firm foundation. There's no anchor. There's nothing to keep that, that water in that spot. It is utterly helpless and driven at the will of the wind. Wherever the wind blows, that's where the wave is going to go. Also, he brings to our attention in verse number 8, this man that asks without faith is a double-minded man. 
unstable in all his ways. Um, I don't know about you, but there's times where I've lacked wisdom, but there's times I've also lacked faith. Um, I'm reminded of the, the man that came to Christ and said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You may say, I'm here today, I'm low on wisdom, but I'm also low on faith. Run to Christ. He has promised that if we ask, he will come through and he will give us our request if we ask in faith. Why don't we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, I ask you today that you would, Lord, truly grant us wisdom. Lord, you have promised that all who ask will receive the wisdom that we need if we ask in faith. And so, Father, today I, I pray that you would, Lord, encourage our hearts, knowing that, that we are not sufficient for ourselves, but you are sufficient for our every need, for our every trial, for our every, every problem. And, Father, I, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to not rely on our own strength or wisdom or knowledge or experience, but that we would flee to Christ and, Lord, cast ourselves at your mercy so that we might receive the faith that we need and the wisdom that we need to live our lives for you. Help us, Lord, to, to take these words that James gives us to heart. And, Lord, may we be diligent in seeking your face. In Christ's name we pray.